0: Welcome to Private Banking Strategies Podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks, your secret weapon to protect your assets and never have to start over financially again. Vance and seth help high net worth individuals families business owners and investors structure an asset protected tax-free fortress for their families learn how to keep what you earn and use the velocity of money to create your own private banking system join us on this journey as we explore the secret strategies of the rich and political elite and help you take total control of your financial security now on to the show
1: Hello, and welcome to Private Banking Strategies with Vance Low and Seth Hicks. Vance, how are you today? I'm doing fabulous, Eric. Oh, great. Seth, what's going on?
2: Hey, glad to be here, Eric. Another exciting episode to bring folks.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the title of this episode is Expanding Your Bank to Meet All Income. That's exciting. I'd like to meet more income. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to introduce me to any income? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> Seth, you got any income for me?
2: we're always making income. That's what we're doing.
1: (laughs) All right. What triggered this title? What triggered this podcast? The reason we want to address
3: this because so many of the people who are exploring this and who first come in want to know, can it be expanded? How, how much should we do for instance? So we're going to address five particular questions that we hear most often from people looking and or clients who have asked certain questions about setting things up and growing. So that's the reason we've titled this Expanding Your Bank to Meet All Income. I like that title because I was absolutely shocked the very first time I heard this concept explained by Nelson Nash. He was in my office in our presentation room, and we had over 70 top affluent clients all meeting. And he taught his Becoming Your Own Banker book over a two-day session, and then he opened it up for questions. And many of these questions were addressed, and it was just absolutely amazing. How do you grow a banking strategy? If you listen to one of our recent podcasts, The Top Ten, right at the end, we explain how we increase the policy count to absorb more money. So we want to go into that. Along with that question, how do I grow my bank. There's another question that Nelson always came back with. Whose bank would you rather have your money in? Yours or someone else's? Eric, what do you think?
1: That's a no-brainer. Come on, my bank.
3: Of course. Okay. But the question is for a lot of people, why?
1: (laughs) If it's in my bank, I get to control it.
3: Seth, just explain a little bit what type of money banks make by just holding on to our deposits?
2: Centralized banks are making money literally out of thin air, and it's called derivative lending, fractionalized banking. And effectively, we bring in $10 and the bank can loan out 100, and they have to keep a 10% reserve. So effectively, $90 appears on the ledger out of thin air, and they're able to loan that money. And actually, uh, larger banks are able to create more leverage than that. It's probably we bring in five dollars and they create ninety five out of thin air. And then they loan that money at, whatever the interest rate is. And all of that cash flow and the volume of interest, notice I didn't say interest rate, but volume of interest comes back into into their possession. And they're able to loan it out again, keeping only a 10% reserve. And the volume of interest is much different than the interest rate. I've given this example before, and Eric, you remember I tasked you with looking at your mortgage loan documents and looking for the truth in lending disclosure. It's called the TILA disclosure, T-I-L-A. And what it tells you is how much interest you're going to pay over the entire life of your loan. And let's assume that one has a 30-year mortgage and you bought a house for $100,000 and that the overall interest that you're going to pay back on that house is $200,000. So not only do you pay the principal of $100,000, but you pay $200,000 in interest. And that's just a simplistic example, but I challenge our audience to actually go look at mortgage documents, if you have a mortgage and look at the overall total interest payments paid back over the life of that loan. And if you put that math together, you're going to be shocked. It's not 5% interest. It's more like 60 or 70% volume rate of interest that bank is making. So what we're talking about is capturing that volume of interest in your own banking vault, in your own private wealth for your family, in the systems and ways that we've talked about.
3: Well, Seth, that sure sounds, uh, what the banks are doing, that's unethical.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's a philosophy of banking that it was doomed from the beginning. And it's the Keynesian versus Austrian economics philosophies at odds with one another. And you can't have paper money, fiat money with no backing, continue to inflate and inflate until eventually there's a massive reset because that money eventually will be regarded as valueless, just like monopoly money. And when Nixon took us off the gold standard, meaning our actual paper dollars were backed by gold and you could actually exchange paper for gold. When he took us off the gold standard, our currency became effectively like monopoly money. And with the national debt increasing by trillions in the most rapid, accelerated fashion ever before in history. In the past 20 years, it has accelerated parabolically faster than it has over the entire history of our country. And it's now over $30 trillion. That can't continue without repercussion. And someone has to pay the piper.
3: And I think that's maybe one of the main reasons they tried to hold at a zero interest rate. And Now that inflation has taken over and inflation has gotten above 11%, our economy can't even support the interest off of that, can they?
2: No. And that's why we're offering alternative strategies that we think will far outperform and help people protect their wealth. So that's why you should tune in, folks.
3: Yeah. So... Guys, let's get to number two here, back on on topic here, but it's all related. One of the biggest questions come in, okay, I'm doing this. I've done all my research. I've looked at the eight-year analysis that we offer with my own numbers. I know it will work for me. My question is, how much should I put into my bank? So I want to tell a story, the very first story, when Nelson Nash met with this group of 72 people, at the end, he opened it up for questions and had a client, and his first name was Roy. He literally jumps up out of his seat. He's so motivated, so excited that he's going to do this. He raises his hand and jumps up and says, I'm going to do this. The only question I've got at this point is how much should I do? And Nelson is standing, and he walked over to the edge of a desk, and he sat on the edge of the desk, and he said, well, I can answer that with a question. And he said, how much do you make annually? Now, he's in a room of 75 people, so he kind of looks around. He wants to tell him. 71 people will hear how much he makes annually, and he doesn't want to share that. Mm-hmm. He says, no, no, you don't understand. I'm trying to figure out how much premium – I should pay into this thing. And Nelson, very patient, smiles at him and says, I'm trying to answer you. How much do you make annually? And he thought for a minute, then all of a sudden the bell rings and he go, whoa, wait a minute. You want me to pay in premium with life insurance equal to the amount I make as annual income? And Nelson stands up and goes, yes, if you understood the system, you would start there today. And then he pauses. He says, but start where you're comfortable and get there as fast as you can. So folks, expanding your banking to meet 100% of your income, you want 100% of your income going into your banking system instead of someone else's. And that's how he follows that up. That's why he says that is because you you need to convert. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to get away from bill pay and all of that type of thing. It just means you run your bank to make the profits that the banks are making off of you. Can you make as much as one of these banks doing unethical things? No, but you can make far more than you could ever risk money in investments and have it taxed advantaged. So how much should we do now that we know that and we've answered number two, it equals your annual income and you wanna get there as quick as you can. I am absolutely surprised because that surprised me And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to get there as fast as I can, but I don't know if I believe that or not. You have to live it. I'm absolutely shocked at the amount of premium going into all the policies that I own today. I've been practicing this now for 18 years. And it's amazing. Every chance I get, I'm opening up new contracts, new policies to expand my bank as fast as possible.
4: Do you see yourself in that story? Do you feel like you are generating a lot of revenue but are not moving forward as fast as you would like? Are you ready for help? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com.
1: So, Vance, let me ask you this. When you're talking about creating these new policies, is this something that you have to fund upfront in advance? Or you know, if you're trying your best to put in your annual salary, is this something that you can do on a monthly basis or do you really need to supercharge it from the get-go?
3: That's a great question. And we all struggle with that. We do according to our own lifestyle. Eric, you're going to be a little bit different than I am. And Seth is. Okay. We are funding our policies As we see fit, we're not trying to superfund one policy on January 1st and then waiting till the next. We have multiple policies that we can stick money in every month if we want, just depending on how many contracts we have. And so it's a a process over time that if that premium equals our income, then we're on the scale that we need to be. Gotcha. what really is amazing in a 10 year period of time that will grow exponentially far beyond your income as far as what happens in the banking world your bank will it, it, they say and it's worked for me so far that whatever you do in the first 5 years your bank will double every 5 years thereafter so how many 5 years increments do we have All right, Vince, so what's the next one? I want to go into a little bit of depth, and I want to use our bank now. We've got our money flowing in there. And we all know at this point, by listening to all the podcasts, reading all the material, that we finance every single thing we purchase. So if we put the money in our bank, and then we borrow money out to finance, say, cars. Nelson has a beautiful illustration, and we've meticulously gone over this in the past. So you'll need to get to that podcast because we're not going to go into detail. But every single car that is financed and redone every four years from like age 25 on to age 65 will put a million dollars in your retirement hopper and you won't know where that million dollars came from. And that's the profits made by the banking system. So go into the detail He goes in to say, now, if one car financed will do that, what if we finance two cars? Would the amount be more or less? Of course, it's going to be more. Just financing vehicles can literally provide for our own individual family money that will be tax advantaged and provide for us all the way through retirement. Think of the possibilities if we opened that up to our extended families and kept that within our family circle and we financed everybody's cars
2: yeah and one of the best examples that we've got on this eric for our listeners is the equipment financing podcast that's called paul bunyan and if folks want to drill down really deep into exactly how it works to finance an automobile or a piece of equipment or machinery that this that Paul Bunyan used for his logging business, and then how he expanded into loaning all the other logging folks out in his community financing for their logging equipment. And their heavy machinery, and turned and instead of being Paul Bunyan, he became the banker. And so that podcast is dedicated, and I think it might even be a two part series, into explaining the concept of what Vance is talking about and financing your own automobile, financing your business, financing your real estate investment financing. You fill in the blank. It depends on where you are. And we said in the first part of this episode, if you're not even there, if you're deep in debt, then you start by financing and taking over the payments for your first credit card that you've got that you can't pay off. And then you go to the second one and the third one, and then you go to the automobiles. And then before you know it, you've accumulated a cash flow and a velocity of money that's coming back into your bank that you can go and either take out debt that you've accumulated or go purchase an asset that returns
1: cash flow to you. That's the concept. Absolutely. All right, Vance, what, what's the fourth one? We got five things here. What's number four?
3: Okay, we're on to number four now. And this is once there's enough money in our banking system, we can start thinking about self-insurance. And to bring this to play, Eric, have you ever known a company that was able to self-insure anything?
1: Uh, Yeah, actually, my wife and I worked for a company, a charity that had a very large endowment and a lot of property. I think the endowment was close to a billion dollars and they self-insured. They had hundreds of vehicles. They had many buildings over a few different miles of campus and they self-insured. And I know that I was talking to one of the gentlemen, they save so much money in self-insuring because you know what the occasional storm brought hail and they had to replace a few roofs, or if they had some vehicles that got damaged, they would have to deal with that, but nothing compared to what insurance would have cost for a company that had that much stuff. And you
3: know, that's why Nelson brings this up. Insurance companies are in the business of making a profit, aren't they? Yeah, (laughs) And one of the best angles that we have to think about self-insuring is the premiums. Their premium covers the risk and also assures pretty much a profit for the company. So let's talk a minute about something that we might be able to do even on a much smaller scale once the money's flowing. That's automobiles. Okay. Most of the time when we finance an automobile through someone else, they require comp and collision insurance. And if it's a bank like Bank of America, they're on the policy as additional insured, aren't they?
1: I didn't know that part of it, but I definitely know that we have to have comprehensive and collision insurance on cars that we finance through a credit union or a bank here. Yeah,
3: yeah. usually that institution who's lending the money will require that they're on the policy. So if the car gets damaged, then they help control and make sure that it's been repaired when mm. the money's paid. They don't want to get a wrecked car back if that, if it has to be repossessed and the person will take the money from the claim. Gotcha. Anyway, what we're talking about here is only collision, you know, comp and collision, not liability. Liability is something that is unknown. Because of the legal uh, atmosphere out there, we could be sued for millions of dollars, especially if they determine... It was our fault that we hit a busload of nuns or kids or whatever else. <laughs> and, yeah, we just don't know. But on the collision part, we already know what we should be setting aside to cover. We could go with a extremely high deductible and save that premium, extra premium dollars, and put that in our banking system to cover those high, uh, higher deductibles. Same thing with medical any number of things we can start thinking about, and we don't have to do the work. The insurance companies already to do the work in the amount of premium for what we might consider uh, taking on as part of our risk or what we're willing to do.
1: What you're talking about is basically, we would be purchasing liability and make sure that we're covered for any actions that we have and we don't get sued into the ground. But the comp and collision, since we're financing our own vehicles through our own bank, and we're not required to carry that, we would finance that ourselves, taking the difference between what we would pay the insurance company for the full boat of insurance. And then the difference between that and just the liability, we're taking that to put that aside or to, exactly. to put it, use it in our bank system. Okay. That makes sense.
3: And, and the same thing with medical, we can't insure the catastrophes. Mm. So major medical, we definitely want we want to keep that. And whatever we can absorb in whatever that deductible is to get from regular medical up to major medical, we can have as the our own deductible and we can set aside that. And again, the insurance companies will solve how much we should set aside for that. So we can do that in that area. And many other areas where we feel necessary that we should pay a premium to protect ourselves. It can be at least thought about. There might be an additional way to do that, other than just fork out the money for all the premium. There's other examples too. Seth, give us an example of a client that you've got. I know you've got one, so tell us about it.
2: Yeah, we have a client, Eric, that's that is extremely wealthy and made the philosophical choice like the charity you described to keep control of the premium dollars he would pay and property and casualty insurance premiums in his own possession and keep them to work in his bank, keep them to work in his possession and far outperform the loss of control of those funds paying to third parties and premiums. And so this is an advanced strategy. It's one that meets also with the title of this podcast, expanding your bank to meet all of your income. That is, as Vance described before, something Nelson said, hey, that's where you should excel towards. That's what you should reach for. That's the finish line. When you have that much wealth and income and flow that you're able to put a hundred percent of that income into your banking system. It's a philosophical thing. And we're not telling people to cut all of your insurance. We're saying this is a strategy that you can use. And once you understand that keeping control of your money and putting it to work for you, it can accelerate the wealth curve much faster than releasing those dollars.
1: Yeah. You guys are giving me flashbacks because when I was a kid, I was probably 10 or 11 years old. And I saw a Ferrari Testarossa for the first time in my life, and I fell in love. Now, I grew up poor, so that wasn't happening. But I asked my dad the question. I said, what if somebody gave you a Ferrari Testarossa right now? What would you do? He told me I'd sell it. I'm like, what? It just freaked me out. I was like, there's no way. Why would you do that? I was so mad. He's like, I'd sell it and buy a Honda. What are you talking about? And it, he explained to me at that time, insurance, he goes, we couldn't afford it. Like, I couldn't afford to insure that car on a, on for a week, honestly. And that kind of makes sense with what you're saying, Seth, because it doesn't matter how you drive that Ferrari Testarossa. You could be a little grandma driving it around at 35 miles an hour. The insurance company is going to say, that's a sports car. It can go 250 miles an hour. So you have to pay A, B, and C, right? All this insurance plus the value of the car those premiums would be huge. And if you're in a position, which I'm not, (laughs) but if you were in a position (laughs) to have the kind of money where you could self-insure and eliminate those premiums, I guess that kind of makes sense in a way, as long as you're driving it like a grandma, in a way.
2: I don't know. Absolutely. And if you're not creating any of the legal liability that Vance described, where you're negligently responsible for running over someone or God forbid, killing somebody in a Mm -hmm. vehicle, then those things all play into it, obviously. But we're talking about the banking aspect of it and just keeping control of your money, putting it to work for you in wise and intelligent ways, and that will outperform paying for premiums and releasing those same dollars. And that's illustrated by very wealthy entities that self-insure. And that's why the self-insurance lane is there. And it's exclusively for the very wealthy.
1: Gives you a lot to think about. All right, Vance, number five. We're on number five. All right,
3: this is the last of the points that we want to bring to bear in this podcast, and I am going to make a little bit of a paradigm shift here. It's absolutely critical for our listening audience to understand a principle that has been downplayed for a long time. If I were to ask what industry has a perfect record of making profit year in and year out, what would that industry be?
1: Do you know, Eric? I have no idea. I have a guess just because we've talked a lot about it, but I would guess insurance companies, but that's the only one I can think of.
3: Okay. But a lot of people chase what we'll call the holy grail. Oh, here's a great investment. Invest our money over here. It means taking the money out of your control and giving it to someone else. And that creates risk, correct? Yep. And everybody downplays insurance. The insurance industry literally has a perfect record of making profits for their shareholders stockholders or whatever else why is that in nelson nash's book somewhere i think it's on page 48 or 49 he goes in and explains to people by putting the banking equation back in your life the reason we use we put our money in a life insurance contract is because we have the absolute best experts on the planet, on our side, working for us, coming up with the cost, coming up with the actuarial tables, knowing how many people are dying per thousand per year, and making a profit, willing to put it in writing, and making guarantees. There is no safer place on the planet than life insurance carriers, and that's why we use that. We got away from that. I remember when that started happening, and this is a long time ago, forty years almost, a term company called AL Williams started, and they felt like we could sell term against whole life insurance and really make a killing. And their term insurance was the most expensive known to man. even now it was it's incredibly expensive, but it was for profit and they would talk people into selling their permanent insurance, all on the guise that you could invest that difference and make so much more money. And it was a lie. It was an outright lie because they would always come in and look, you could invest it for eight to ten percent and make so much more money. Even back then when it first started, markets never done that consistently, especially tax free. And then you end up later in life with no insurance, (laughs) not nearly as much cash as you have. So Hmm. what we're trying to say here is trust in the insurance carriers to hold your money. It's going to produce a great return if you can't put the money to work and it's inside the system. It's the safest place on the planet from seizure or anything else like that. You now have the best people in the world on your side working for you, and all in whatever fees or costs that are inside that policy, which Seth and I make sure is the absolute minimum possible.
2: And not only are the insurance companies the safest place. For- from a from a leverage standpoint. Eric, remember when we talked about the banking leverage, we bring $10 into a traditional bank and they loan out a hundred. With life insurance companies, they can't do that. They're required to have a one-to-one reserve. So you bring in $10 and they have to have $10 on hand that balances on that ledger. They don't create money out of thin air and therefore it's much more prudent banking. There's actually something backing up the number, and it's an actual dollar there for everyone that was deposited. And not only that, the state legislatures in each state, they regulate the life insurance industries. It's a state-regulated lane, so to speak. And various states have asset protection laws that protect the life insurance policies. So in most of the Southern states, there, is, there are exemptions from attack, exemptions from creditors, exemptions from third parties being able to take your uh, cash value or your death benefits or payments that are paid from the life insurance company to the insured or the beneficiaries by state law. And so that makes them an asset protected fortress in those states. And there are other ways to legally structure an asset protected fortress if you're not in a friendly state. But like I said, many of the southern states create on the books, and they've been on the books since the post Civil War era laws that protect citizens' life insurance policies and the value therein. Now, they don't have those same laws in effect for your bank account at Wells Fargo or Bank of America or Chase (laughs) or even the local credit union. So money that you've got in those bank accounts are completely and totally subject to uh, attack, uh, subject to creditors making claims on them, subject to IRS liens and whatever else. Whereas in the life insurance industry, if you're in a protected state and a protected structure, like we're suggesting, you're in an asset protected vault.
1: All right. Well, that's good news.
2: Absolutely. It's amazing news. And it's one of the best distinctions between capturing your own private wealth in your own banking system versus using third parties that we've been programmed to use. hmm
1: I know that was number five, and that was the last on your list. Vance, do you have any closing thoughts for today's podcast?
3: I just want and hope that people can start to catch the vision that if we can do this in our own family, how much more powerful it might be with our personal extended family, Hmm. where we bring to bear more money, we finance things within our own family, And that money circulates at a wider circle within our private family. It's still tax-advantaged, it's private, and the world will change compared to what people are trying to do right now in giving the money away and only using it once before it's lost forever.
1: Yeah, Seth, I know you always do a great job of giving folks a good landing page to get more information. Where can they go to find out more?
2: You can find us at privatebankingstrategies.com. That's privatebankingstrategies.com. And there we've got a an offer for our visitors. We like to call a red pill book, What Banks Don't Want You to Know, that can parabolically change your wealth curve. And they're we expose a number of issues that the audience w- would be benefit by cluing in on things like the volume rate of interest, compounding interest, the tax-free growth inside these policies, just as a few teasers. And from there, folks are resonating with that content. And by the way, you can read that or you can listen to it in audio form if you're on the go then we've got a robust portfolio of podcast emails that we send valuable information to clients on. And from there, if those things are resonating with someone, they can schedule a call with Vance and actually take this system for a test ride with their own financials and see how uh, they would come out in an eight-year plan and apply their numbers and see how their wealth will change. That's basically the roadmap that we've outlined for folks and prospects who want to learn more about it, Eric, and and glad to help those folks. And once you become a client, we've mentioned before, we've got a, a robust learning library that's a client-only access where we really give folks an opportunity to get a black belt in private banking strategies. And we data dump everything that we have learned and sharpened in our careers for our clients. And it's called the learning library.
1: Perfect. All right, gentlemen, again, thank you so much for your time today. Another great podcast, a lot of great information. Of course, our last thank you is for you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the private banking strategies podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way when Vance and Seth come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this will help others find the show. Again, thank you for listening today. For everyone at Private Banking Strategies, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day, and we'll see you next time.
4: Did that story feel like it was about you? Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com.
0: Thank you for listening to the Private Banking Strategies Podcast.